Hello, my friends. Today, we're in your feed with a bonus episode from our premium podcast, More to Say. On Tuesday's episode of Pantsuit Politics, Beth mentioned her frustration with the coverage Vice President Harris has gotten in recent profiles. As is often the case, we can't say everything we want to about every topic that matters on our Tuesday and Friday podcast episodes. So Sarah covers the headlines on a short news brief called Good Morning on Monday through Thursday mornings. And in the evenings, we release a second podcast called More to Say, where Beth takes deep dives into topics like this that matter, but may not be grabbing everyone's attention. If you like this episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend and invite you to join us Monday through Thursday on our premium channels. You can subscribe through Patreon or Apple Podcast subscriptions, and the information for how to do that is in the show notes for today's episode. All right, I'll leave you to Beth. Depending on who you're reading or listening to, Vice President Kamala Harris is incompetent or pulling all the strings behind the scenes. She stands for nothing or she's a socialist who threatens the country. She's too cold, but she laughs too often. She's evasive or too rehearsed, too scripted or unprepared. Her portfolio is beyond her capacity or not substantive enough. House Republicans are trying to defund her office. Democrats whisper about replacing her on the ticket. Reporters love to write pieces about how unpopular she is. And I am sick of all of it. I've decided to make it my personal mission for the next year to go on offense on behalf of Vice President Harris. Today, there's more to say about her work. And also, I just need to let off a little steam about how outrageously I think she's been treated by nearly everyone. Let's begin at the beginning with the Constitution. Doesn't have a ton to say about the vice president. In Article 1, establishing the legislative branch, we learn that the vice president will serve as president of the Senate, but can't vote there unless the Senate is tied. Article 2, establishing the executive branch, tells us that there will be a vice president who will take the powers of the presidency if the president is removed, dies, resigns, or otherwise becomes unable to discharge the duties of the office. And then we have some amendments that are really process issues about all of those things. The point is, the Constitution does not give the vice president very many jobs, except presiding in the Senate, breaking ties there, and being ready to be the president if it becomes absolutely necessary. There's no power otherwise for the vice president in this document. And I think that's important to remember. Everything else a vice president does is just up to the administration She could stay in Washington, D.C., go over to the Senate, and otherwise hang out in her office reading books, and she would be doing her duty. But she is not hanging out in Washington, D.C. and reading books, not even close to that. In fact, she is doing a lot, and I want to group it in some categories for us. I find her work most impressive in the national security and diplomacy space. The vice president has spent a lot of time in Southeast Asia in particular, shoring up relationships with countries that are in close proximity to China. This is delicate work. In September, she was at a summit for Southeast Asian countries in Indonesia, and it's so hard for these countries. They are all very small compared to China. They are militarily outmatched by China. Having any kind of relationship with the United States is often perceived by China as antagonistic. These countries' security, their economies, everything is in a very precarious position, and she is doing that work on behalf of the administration. She has publicly criticized China for trying to take control of the South China Sea especially, 
But she also tries to de-escalate tensions between the U.S. and China. She says, we're not trying to decouple the relationship. We are trying to protect American interest. We are trying to make sure that America is a leader in terms of the rules of the road for trade. She says, you know, yes, we are in tension with China because we are competitors and we welcome the competition, but we don't seek conflict. She has also spent time in Africa, and I think this is extremely important. In March, she went to Ghana, Tanzania, and Zambia to focus on investment and collaboration. We talked yesterday about Russian disinformation in Africa. We've talked previously about Chinese investments there. It is important that the United States show up and a high-profile visit from our vice president, who you can read in some of the articles I'll link, spoke in very personal terms about her connection to these places, was an excellent step in this regard. She's doing a lot right now on artificial intelligence. She's been a part of the administration's artificial intelligence efforts for quite some time. She attended the AI summit hosted by the British government and delivered an address at the U.S. Embassy in London on AI last week. Her remarks mirrored the executive order that we talked about earlier this week, but She went further in speaking really concretely and specifically about the kinds of threats that accompany AI that we might not always think about. I want to play a little bit of her remarks here. Of humanity. These threats, without question, are profound, and they demand global action. But let us be clear. There are additional threats that also demand our action threats that are currently causing harm, and which to many people also feel existential. Consider, for example, when a senior is kicked off his health care plan because of a faulty AI algorithm. Is that not existential for him? When a woman is threatened by an abusive partner with explicit deepfake photographs, Is that not existential for her? She also talked about how her mom is a research scientist who wanted to raise her daughters and end breast cancer and how that's where she learned about the power of innovation. She explained that she and the president have been convening scholars, developers, scientists, and leaders to ensure that AI is developed equitably and securely. I think you see that work reflected in the executive order. She was part of creating the AI Bill of Rights and working on that executive order to help the government move forward. She also announced the establishment of the U.S. AI Safety Institute and said that it would be creating standards for rigorous testing that she hopes will serve as a model for global policy. The administration has also dispatched her to be its best and closest and most inspiring ambassador to young voters. So she just wrapped up a weeks-long tour of college campuses to generate support for the re-election campaign. She had a heated moment there at her last stop at Northern Arizona University when students asked her to respond to the casualties in Gaza. And I want to play a little bit of that moment as well. I think it is important to recognize also the distinction between a terrorist organization, Hamas, and the Palestinian people and civilians... And they should not be conflated. I think what you hear in those remarks is a consistent commitment on behalf of the vice president 
to talking about people's rights. She has talked a lot about abortion rights. She talks a lot about maternal health. She talks about LGBTQ rights and protecting those rights from the assaults that come from state legislators. She has been at historically Black colleges and universities talking about civil rights. She seems to bring civil rights into all of the conversations that she's part of, which I think is absolutely the most effective way to advance them. In June, for example, she announced a series of actions designed to root out racial bias from the home appraisal industry. So small things that don't generate big headlines, but that really significantly affect business and people's lives. She has worked hard in supporting small businesses, especially in helping businesses with owners who are historically underrepresented get access to credit. She has worked, as we've talked about before, on immigration, particularly on addressing the root causes of migration from Northern Triangle. We'll link an older episode about that work. In September, President Biden tapped her to lead the new Office of Gun Violence Prevention. She has been part of the gun safety policies of the administration all along. This dates back to her work as a prosecutor. This also gives her a chance to work with young voters who tend to lead gun violence prevention advocacy, and it lets her connect with people face-to-face. Writing about a Chicago event on gun violence in August, Eugene Daniels at Politico said, Backstage, she prepares for a not-so-intimate fireside chat about gun safety in front of hundreds of people. Kamala Harris is unscripted and seemingly at ease, no notes or teleprompters in sight. She's offering condolences and counsel to those who've lost loved ones to gun violence, who stream in wearing red shirts emblazoned with moms demand action or students demand action. She holds their hands and looks into their eyes. We speak their names, she whispers to one woman. She gently reassures a man clearly anxious about where to stand in the photo line. She's attentive, actively listening to people she meets and peppering them with questions. Now, these paragraphs stand out in the midst of an otherwise incredibly obnoxious and sadly unoriginal article about how much criticism the vice president gets for being all the wrong things. But it shows that one-on-one, she is the person who captivated America's attention when she first ran for president, when she was in the Senate, when she was the attorney general of California. It's hard to compare the portfolios of vice presidents over time because administrations have different priorities, they use the vice president differently, and different events are demanding their attention. Like Mike Pence led the pandemic task force. That's just not something you can really stack up against other portfolios easily. It's a unique circumstance. The only easy comparative point is casting tie-breaking votes in the Senate, and by that metric, she's crushing it. Vice President Harris has cast more tie-breaking votes than any vice president since John C. Calhoun, who served from 1825 to 1832. She has now tied Calhoun for the historic record. It took him eight years to accumulate that total. She has done it in two and a half years. It doesn't necessarily say anything awesome for America. We don't want the Senate to be so evenly split that it's hard to get things done. But again, if you're just wondering if Harris is busy, the answer is yes. And breaking ties in the Senate ties her physically to Washington, D.C. She has to be there. And every single vote involves preparation and thought about what it means for the administration and the Democratic Party and the country and for her career. In compiling this list of activities, I have found myself frustrated by how many times I typed, well, she's talking about this versus she's getting this done. But I realize the more I think about it that talking is the job. All the vice president really has is influence. And Vice President Harris is using it. She's using her influence with legislators at the state and federal level. She's using it with voters. She's using it in the private sector to get investment in climate initiatives, in jobs, in business. 
She's using it with other countries. Even the hand-wringing, why-do-you-suck profiles acknowledge that Vice President Harris is influential in meetings in the West Wing. She is consistently referred to as someone who asks pointed, detailed questions. She's a prosecutor, and it's a skill set that makes her not a great interviewee, but helpful in meetings and helpful in policy development. It's not that I think Vice President Harris is perfect. I've read a lot of it, and I understand that there are weaknesses here, but all of us have weaknesses. Certainly every person who's held the office of the vice presidency has. She has strengths, too. I cannot force anyone to write the story of her strengths, but I can do a better job highlighting them here, and I plan to do that, both because I think she's gotten a raw deal in the press and because she deserves to be recognized for more than her historic election. She didn't just get the job. She's doing it. 